You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode, the first episode of July of Disability After Dark. Hello! Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled. My name is your deliciously disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and here we are. Let's get the show started, everybody. First things first, I want to give a shout out to some of the patrons that help keep the bright light shining on Disability Stories, this very important podcast. And so for today, I want to give a shout out to my new friend, Tobe, who pledged $25 a month to keep the show going, which is just incredible. And he was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to do um, any kind of perks. I just want to support you, which is super cool. So thanks, Tobe. But your pun is that you, Tobe, I think you are. Really cool, and your name rhymes with robe. Thank you so much for your pledge. It means so much to me as a creator doing this work. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to support the show, of course, go over to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark 
and pledge as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month or more or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. Anything you can do along with promoting the show and reviewing the show and telling your friends about the show and listening to the show. All the things you do to promote this kind of content on the platforms because as we know, disability content is very sparse. But I really appreciate all of the support from all you beautiful listeners, so thank you. One of the things that I love about doing this show, and I've always loved about doing this show, is the connections that I make with the guests over time. A lot of the people that I talk to on this show, I become friends with, and we get to know, and we chat off the air, and we build a a rapport with each other because of just the conversation that we tend to have. It's very deep and very personal, and we we bond over the fact that a lot of us are disabled and go through many of the same things. And one of those people that I bonded with the first time he was on the show and have been a huge supporter and friend of since is my friend Anthony Michael Lopez. You may have heard him on our first episode, episode 133, back in 2019, where we called the episode Stumpfucker, and we talk a lot about his experience being an amputee and being queer and fucking and all those things. This time around, though, we didn't have a script. We didn't have questions that I could ask him. We just He emailed me at the beginning of the pandemic last year and said, Dude, I just want to sit down with you, Andrew, and have a chat. I just want to chat with you about, about being disabled and being, you know, I just want to have a chat with you. I don't want to be, I don't want to be scripted. I just want to sit with you. So we do that in this episode. We sit down and we talk about his new role as an actor in a new show called Desert Inn and his experiences being an actor on that show and how his character incorporates the fact that he is in real life a leg amputee and how they do that on the show Desert Inn. We talk about his experiences as a disabled kid growing up a little bit. We talk a little bit about um, his queerness. We talk a little bit about his experiences of disability grief and disability loss as an amputee and the pressure he felt to be as normal as possible. This one really was just two old gimpy friends having a chat and just being together. And I love this conversation because it was super free-flowing Super relaxed, super effortlessly effortlessly fun and easy is what Anthony said when I texted him about the conversation. He was like, it was so easy and fun and relaxed. And I loved sitting with him and being with him and sharing that space with him. And I hope you enjoyed the episode too. So without further ado, here's my second interview, my second sit down, if you will, with my new friend. Well, not my new friend, my friend. We've been friends for a while. Let me try again. Here is... My second sit down with my very close disabled friend, my gimpy friend, if you will, Anthony Michael Lopez, right here on Disability After Dark. Anthony Michael Lopez, hello. Hey, babe. How is it going? Well, you know, it's going fine. Um, and all things, con- <laughs> all things considered, it's actually going very well. I'm ready. I'm in Philadelphia right now, uh, for the next few days and I'm in a hotel and it's all fine. What can I say? That's exciting. Um, 
I didn't write any questions down because you literally said to me, you just want to have a chat. So that is what I am here to do with you today. Oh. Oh. Did Zoom freeze? Did you hear? I think we've got a, a freezing thing. Did you get? I got the I got the your internet is unstable uh, thing. Oh no! Um, but, it's, but it's funny because we were just talking for like ten minutes and everything was completely fine. All right. Well, I'm gonna keep it in because I'm a shitty editor, so it's fine. You get this is what happens when you're trying to record uh-huh. your one podcast. This is the world this now. Is what, this is what happens. Yeah, it's the world now. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me try that again I that. <laughs> let me try that again okay so anthony michael lopez for the people that don't know who you are and haven't listened to our first chat which is like two years ago now wow um tell the people who you are tell them what it is that you do and tell us a little about you uh well i am uh i'm an actor uh i'm an, i'm a right leg amputee i wear a prosthetic leg you might know me, you, the listener, might know me from uh, my appearances on Broad City, where Abby Jacobson yanks my prosthetic leg off in Madison Square Park. You might also know me from, uh, from uh, what's that show? Homeland on Showtime with Claire Danes. Um, I was in the film Maplethorpe with Matt Smith. And coming up real soon is uh, Desert Inn, which is a new streaming miniseries on operabox.tv, a new streaming platform. And Desert Inn stars Justin Vivian Bond, Raviv Allman. It was created by James Dara, Ellen Reed, Christopher Oscar Pena, and uh, other geniuses. I mean, most importantly, it says you. So, let, I mean, well let's done. start there. Um, well, yeah, and the, I, and the last time I was on the show, um, on your show, I think the episode was called Stumpfucker. Yeah, that's right. That's right. What do you want want to call it? What do you want it to be called for today? I just keep thinking, how the fuck are we going to top that? How? Well, listen, if you want me to top your stump, we can talk about it. No, pun pun intended, honey. Pun intended. Um, I'm sure through the course of our recording, this will be, we'll come up with some hilarious pun. We'll we'll just we'll be our messy selves. We'll be our messy selves, and we'll pick the best uh, best little bit. And usually, with with guests, I record. I do questions, and I do like I I I, I'm very meticulous about the things I ask. But today, I was you and I have been talking about doing this second episode for a while now, and you've said to me every single time, you're like, I don't want it to be scripto. I just want to talk to you. So here we are. (laughs) Well, I don't mind a little structure. I think last time I was, we tried to record at the beginning of the pandemic. And I think I was dealing with a little bit too much to just let myself be relaxed and have a conversation or to deal with like the pressure of, of um, questions, like, like structure. Cause it was like the beginning of the pandemic. I had no idea what the hell was going on. And I like left my apartment. Like it was crazy. So I'm giving myself a little bit of grace and also like, sorry. It's all good. Hey, it was, it was fine. No, it was fine. That's why I was like, that's why I didn't follow up. Cause I was like, let's give him some time to figure out stuff because the world is going through trauma. My podcast will be here. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um. So I literally didn't write anything down. So, <laughs> so what I would love to, to know is, how is your, how is it being an amputee during a pandemic? Uh, well, 
I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, you know that like on the hierarchy of, of disability, being like a leg amputee is kind of right up at the top. So I recognize that there's a lot of privilege on my end. And I haven't, luckily, I mean, God, knock on this wood, but I haven't had, I've been terrified like everybody else. I've been terrified like, uh, you know, lots of other people, but I haven't had like a lot, a ton of pandemic or COVID related challenges that are like specific to my disability. I'm sure if I really think about it and the more we talk about it, there might be some, but right now I can't think that's of any. That's fair. Of that's fair. Um, the big thing you want to talk about today about was Desert Inn. And I did a quick Goog. Didn't see a lot on it because it, it's, it's on some like weird, obscure platform that I've never heard of before until right now. Yes. And well, and also um, the day that we're recording this, it hasn't come out yet. So when it's coming it, out. When? It comes out tomorrow on operabox.tv. Um, but the Wall Street Journal just came out with a thing and um, they liked it. They liked it a lot. They saw the first three episodes and they're very into it. Well, so that's, that's cool. exciting. And uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be really special. I think it's going to be really incredible. Give me the premise and then talk to me about how your disability, how your Tell me all about you, the, the story and then tell me all about your character and then tell me about how disability plays in. Go. Sure. Okay, here we go. Um, so yeah, Desert Inn is kind of a reimagining of how um, stories can be told through opera. It's specifically like a new opera commissioned by the Boston Lyric Opera in conjunction with the Long Beach Opera. And they wanted to combine the world of film and television with opera. So um, it's an eight part series, it's mostly opera, but there is plenty of dialogue and um, visual art as well. And uh, it's really exciting. And I think it's like, I don't know, I just think it's doing something really interesting with the form and the observer calls it rather horny. And I, I have to agree, oh. there's, yeah, there's, plenty of nudity and there's some there's a scene that I shot where Raviv and I Raviv Allman and I um get into a hot tub and it's like a very steamy kind of situation I'm there for but that. it's I but I think like at the core of it it's about queer trauma and it's about how we cope and how we heal or don't heal and if we don't heal how we wind up just kind of um abusing other people in similar ways that we've been abused but it happens, this story happens on an operatic scale. So on like a magical scale. And in the world of the opera, people can come to this inn in the middle of the desert in California and be reunited with their dead loved ones and spend time with their dead loved ones. So you don't really know uh, through the story like who's dead, who's alive, because everyone's just there. And it's this place where the line between death and life is blurred my character Federico has been working at the hotel for I think like 40 something years. So I play like an 80 something year old man whose youth has sort of been suspended, youth in quotation marks has been suspended uh, while he's been living at the hotel. And, you know, my character has been super traumatized and um, some of that trauma gets kicked up as well as kind of the uh, his heart kind of gets busted wide open and he's, he falls in love kind of for the, for the second time or for the first time in, in decades. So 
is your character dead or do you not want to do you not want to share that piece of the story is he is he are we supposed to know that he's dead or what's i think you're just gonna have to watch and find out well you're gonna have to send me an early you're gonna have to find a way for me to watch before tomorrow how, do, how does one... i can do it i can do that actually i only have access to the first three episodes but there are eight total well, so but I'll i can i can three I'll send, yeah, I'll send you send me, send, send me a link, we'll figure it out. By the time this comes out, it'll totally be out already. So don't, don't get too excited. But, 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 but I got, why, <laughs> I'll watch it early, it's fine. But, you know, you talked a second ago about queer trauma and it got me thinking about the linkages between queer trauma and disability trauma. We in the disability communities have also lived through and continue to live through and continue to, to, Re- to what is the word I want? We continue to re- reproduce disability trauma against one another. Um, what is your experience of, of disability trauma been as a disabled person? It's kind of it's it's interesting. It's hard to um, it's hard to determine between what is my queer trauma and what is my disability trauma and what is just my, my just being a human. I mean, I have a therapist who says everyone is traumatized. Um, and I think that's really true. I think something about Western culture just, just kind of grind. I mean, the fact that we have to work and earn money just to justify our existence is really violent and um, awful. And that's traumatizing in and of itself. So there's that, but I think for me, you know, let me I, dis- I, let me, I, yeah, go ahead. Let me distill the question to make it a, l- a little less broad for you. What is a moment in your disability life that you would say you can remember and pinpoint that has been traumatic, traumatic that you could share that isn't? Well, this is actually, this is what I was going to say. Um, my... Like my family, first of all, they were amazing. They were wonderful. They continue to be wonderful. I'm so grateful for them. But they didn't really have access to a lot of. Um, they they didn't they they weren't thinking about disability. So when I so I was born disabled, and their way congenitals for the win congenital disabilities. Here we go. Yes, yeah. Congenitalia. Um, so. <laughs> So I, but their way of coping with my disability or, or just like dealing with it was to try and make my life sort of as normal as possible. Normal meaning like they forced me to play Little League. And like I, I, I you know, expressed desire in playing Little League. But then once I got into the league, there were no accessibility concerns. You know, whenever I would talk about like uh, being in pain or being too tired, they sort of would they didn't, they didn't understand that that was connected to my disability because everybody's mindset was just sort of like, let's make Anthony as normal um, and as, you know, non-disabled passing as possible. And it was their way of protecting me. They didn't know any other way. They thought that they were doing me a favor, but I wound up learning that, um, I wound up learning not to trust my sense of limitation. You know, that's, that's sort of things. You pushed past that voice that told you you should probably stop because everybody I told pushed, you you had yes, to. Yes, yes, I go too far. I push, I push too far. I have a tendency to feel like if I can't keep up because of my disability, then I'm failing, you know? And um, I'm gonna fall behind and I'm gonna be left behind and 
and yeah. So, but I'm learning. I mean, the, the beautiful thing is like, as adults, we have, we, we, we have the, the right to advocate for ourselves and learn how to parent ourselves, how to be our, how to be the parents to ourselves that we should have had since the beginning. And, you know, yeah. to pick up on, on the things that maybe our, our families um, didn't, did, you know, didn't know how to do that we needed. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't mean yeah. your family is bad or abusive or anything like that. It just means they didn't know. And, and I think when it comes to disability, there's stuff that my family didn't know either. And like, but I'm also like, I'm really glad they, they at least tried and they're still trying. And maybe, you know, what we, what we think is right in disability discourse isn't right. And they were doing what, what was right for them at the time. And so like, we have to, like, I think when we talk about disability, we always say, you know, you have to do the right, most accessible thing. And it's like, well, as disability, as our understanding of what being disabled means evolves, then those things can evolve. But back when you were growing up, I think we're about the same age, right? So like back in the 80s, when you were growing up, 80s and 90s, they, there wasn't a big talk about let Anthony feel his pain and be disabled and be connected to disability. At that time, it was rise above your disability. Don't think about it. Don't let it be a part of you. Be better, be stronger, be faster. I mean, it's still, yes. it's still that now. Absolutely. I was, I was also just thinking the other day, like I had this like flash of a memory of being in the grocery store with my grandfather and a woman came up to me. I was on crutches. I had just had a surgery and I wasn't wearing a prosthetic. And she, she came up to me and she said, oh, he's so handsome. Such a shame. Oh. Like, refer Fuck. referring to my leg so there was like the double whammy of like like oh he had so much potential but he but he's but he's um he's he's uh he's disposable now if and he then just had that one leg his handsomeness would be so much more his, his handsomeness would count you know yeah. and then like and then on the other and then you know and then the double layer of like she didn't say this to me she said it to my grandfather you know so it was just it's it was just like a strong, uh, clear, direct communication that like I didn't matter. What did your do you remember? Do you remember at all what your grandfather did in that moment? Do you remember? Like he he, he nodded. He nodded and smiled. You know, he's the most. He's, yeah, yeah. I mean, but he's super. I mean, but he's super easygoing. He doesn't like to rock the boat. He you know he loves people. He sort of sees everyone's best intentions. He's always been like this. Did he and, like say anything to you afterwards, or was it one of those things that you encountered and that you like held in your body for all these years and didn't ever say because you were a kid? Oh God, no, no. Yeah, well, no one ever. No, he didn't say anything after that. I, I definitely have been, I mean, it's just interesting because I've been, I've been encountering a lot of self-worth issues um, lately, like especially fin finishing up this project and like doing promotion for the project. I, I just been running into all of this uh, imposter syndrome and that memory in particular came up when I was kind of thinking about this and writing about it and trying to like, you know, trying to just look at it clearly. Yeah. yeah so I, I have been holding on to it, I guess. Um. I kind of I love to talk to guests about their childhood with disability because we don't talk about that enough. Um, so I'm going to go there for a second because I'd love to. Do you have any other memories of being a disabled kid that were either good or but just just memories of being a disabled kid that you want to share? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, re I went to Catholic school. So every Friday there was a mandatory mass attendance. Uh, and so we had to <laughs> we had to there was, you know, in Catholic mass, there's a lot of 
like standing up and kneeling you know there's a lot of I'll that never know the what course that's of like, an hour but, but sure but sure. sure so well just take my word for it there's a lot of standing up to sing and then and then kneeling to pray and then standing up and kneeling back and forth and I just remember like I had a I, I had a prosthetic had leg. inappropriate thought, but I need to say it because it's in my brain right now. Oh, the irony is that years later, you'd be a gay man doing a lot of up and down and kneelings. Hey, practice makes perfect. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> so, but I just remember like the sitting, the, the standing up and the kneeling, like I had a prosthetic leg that was not very comfortable. So it wound up, you know, I was, I like would end these masses and ble- and be bleeding. You know, and then I would like mass was at the beginning of the day, so I would just have this blood pooling in my prosthetic leg for the rest of the day, and I wouldn't oh, say no. anything. I didn't I mean, do anything about it. You could. I just. You could have just screamed out "miracle" in the church because if you, if, you're, <laughs> if if your stump is bleeding, surely Jesus had something to do with that. You should. Just- oh my God! Or just dab the blood <laughs> on like the Mother Mary on the Virgin Mary statue. <laughs> Things you could have done. So many missed opportunities. Damn it! So many possibilities. So there was that, but I also loved like freaking people out. Like I would like walk around in shorts and like just let my legs sort of fall off in front of people who didn't know. You know, there was that. I would tell people that people would ask me how I lost my leg, and I would tell them that I was trying to save my little sister from an oncoming train. There were fun (laughs) moments. And that as you horrible. know, but as you know, there are you. I mean, sometimes the disability card really um, helps, and frankly, I think we've earned it. Yeah, we have. What are some times when you use that card to get out of things you definitely didn't have to get out of? You were like, "I'm gonna just pull this now, and nobody can say shit." Like public transport. How you would just say like like getting on the subway and um, and having people offer me a. A seat, and even if I don't want it or need it, I'll like okay, <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll sit. Sure, I'm I'm, hor- I'm very very entitled. How yeah. did your no? Because when did you come out again? When was your? When did you like realize you were a big flaming fag? As a faggot, uh, I came out first to my friends my freshman year, I think freshman or sophomore year of college, and then I came out to my mom. Well. I didn't come out to my mom. I was sort of outed to my mom. Um, this was like at the time of AOL Instant Messenger and it was like this, the software had changed. And so like every time somebody messaged you, even if you had closed out of the conversation, if they messaged you again, the whole conversation would come up. Oh, so no. I remember, yeah, I was at rehearsal for a play and then I came home and my mom was just standing there. It was like 11.30 and she was just standing there in her, in her robe like with a glass of water in her hand and she was never <laughs> up that late. And I was like, I'm Uh-oh. in trouble. Something is yeah, going on. I did something wrong. Ed. I did something wrong. Yeah, some, this is about to be a conversation. She goes, go into your room. And <gasps> so, yeah. So we sat down, we had the conversation. She had a rough time dealing with it. And now she is my loudest supporter. Oh, and I she, love that for you. That's great. She, she, yeah, I'm very privileged in that way too. She, is the secretary of her PFLAG chapter. She like hosts picnics for <laughs> homeless, for, um, oh, I should say houseless trans people in her area. Like she is so on board and she's so into it and she makes beautiful cookies and um, she makes a lot of pride cookies uh, too. And her Instagram is Belden oh Avenue 
Belden Avenue Bakery. I'm going to do this because my mom deserves a lot of um, a lot of love. Tell your mom that I will pay for cookies to be shipped to Toronto because I need. She is to not going to accept your money. She will. She's going to send. She will send you cookies. I guarantee. Well, tell her, that, tell her that I definitely want to try some because I mean I have to now. But <laughs> so so I don't think we talked about this last time because the last time I talked to you, all I wanted to talk about was how you suck dick and how you fuck. But, yes. but since we're going deeper into your childhood. Let's just go there for a minute. How how it was, I mean, you talked about it a little bit with your family, not seeing the disability, but like, we're not talking about it. or not giving you space to like, feel what it was like. Mm-hmm. What, did, does your mom have any, did your mom ever say anything to you? How did she position you being disabled to you? You mean when I was a kid? Yeah. Oh, it was like, you're just like everybody else. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything, which are all, you know, important messages to hear. But at the same time, it, it leaves no room for, for actual limitation because, yeah. you know, that's part of that's part of like why we like the term disabled is because it acknowledges physical limitation. That's a very important part of this. Yeah. You know, yeah. so she but she was like she was more I think she was she was pretty sensitive to my needs and my comfort level. It's just, I, I think for whatever reason, I mean, maybe it was like, not even my, not just my family, but I'm sure like the messages from the larger culture that being disabled or not being able to do the things that you're expected to do means that you are less valuable, less lovable, you know? And I already felt that from being like a little faggot. So there was that too. And that was like my worst fear, you know, I still have it, this fear of abandonment, not being good enough not Story of my life. Being... Can we like sit and just yeah. have a five-hour chat about how I I feel like I'm going to be abandoned every day? It's the worst. It's the worst. I think that's a pretty common experience too. I think just everybody can relate to that. Um, you know, I think there are just specific reasons that we can point to that make it a little bit more urgent for us, and maybe make the fear a little bit more available. Yeah, I mean, something that I've been talking and thinking and rolling around in my head for years, and more so this year, I think, with the pandemic is that because of my disability, because of my lowered immune system, because of all the things that my disability entails and all that stuff, um, I think about when I'm gonna die. And I think about, you know, I just hit 37, which for a non-disabled person is a pretty run of the mill age and pretty whatever. For me, it's not necessarily a milestone or anything, but it's also, it is like, I don't, I was told when I was a kid, I'd be dead by five. And then I was told 10 and then they were told, you know, and then at 16, I had to have spinal fusion surgery to like fix my, you know, so I think a lot about, am I going to get to do the things that my non-disabled counterparts are going to do? Am I going to get to have the boyfriend, the, the husband and the white picket fence? And the, I don't, I don't think so now. I've come to this weird conclusion of like, not, not that's not my experience, but also I think about what if I die before I get to do all the things I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I just like, it's such an important thing to be talking about. Like I, you know, I have been because of the pandemic, like thinking about my own death a lot too. and thinking about the death of everyone that I love. And for some reason, sometimes it just, it just becomes the, the foremost thing on my mind. It's like this existential panic sometimes, um, but not just because of the pandemic, but because of like, and I'm sure you think about this too, like because of the ableism of the culture that we live in. Oh yeah. And and the and the way that our culture is resistant to talking about things like death, you know, which I think is directly tied to 
uh, it's ableism to yeah. society's ableism. And I mean, I think the disability community is also has an issue talking about death. It has an issue talking about we're taught in our communities to feel all the things, but the minute you bring up death in our community, people get really weird and get yeah. like, oh no, you'll be fine. It's okay. It's like, well, what if, I'm, what if I won't be? What if I'm not? And that it's scary because I'm not scared to die. This got really dark with us. I'm not scared to, to die. I'm scared of not hitting the markers that I wanted to hit. Like that 14 year old Andrew wanted when I was 14, which is like, I want a husband. I want a good job. I want a house. I want autonomy. I want all these things. And as I creep closer to 40, which again, isn't a big milestone for non-disabled people, but for disabled people, it's a, it's like, am I middle-aged or am I like closer to the end than I realize I am? And this is something talking about this. Well, first of all, never say never. Second of all, talking about this and relieving some of the pressure in a public space like you're doing could potentially like relieve some of the fear and that some people have that keep them from that keep you from accessing that kind of connection that you're looking for that's true i never thought of it like that that's awesome um but do you have any like what are your thoughts on disability and death if we're gonna go there we're already there let's just this is we're here i mean we're fully in it i you know i do think about this a lot because i think a lot of um ableism is rooted in the fear of death because you look at you know you look at somebody with um in, in our culture generally when you are presented with someone whose body has more physical limitations than you your mind puts you, puts yourself in their place and you think about the loss of the function of your body and then the inevitable like next thought is death because yeah. eventually we know i mean and as disabled people i think we're a little bit more acquainted with this that our bodies are going to fail us in lots of small and then medium and then big ways <laughs> you know and sometimes it's not linear like that often but like until eventually the real big way. And we are familiar with that, but that is a fact for literally every single human being. It's yeah. just that that non-disabled people have the luxury of ignoring it more easily. Yeah. How did it how does that feeling with your type of disability, how does that feeling manifest for you? Like what it how does it come out? I think about it a lot because I'm, you know, I'm I I'm 35 and I started to notice, like, I can't do the things that I used to be able to do. Things are harder. Um, I don't, like, I love doing theater, but the last big play that I did, it was like three hours of just running around constantly on stage. And it really took me out for about four months afterward. And um, I used to be able to do things like that. And I can't now. And I picture the future of my life, you know, I think of it optimistically, but I'm also trying to be realistic and accepting of the fact that like, I have back problems sometimes, you know? I, um, I have skin issues because of my disability. Like things, things are, things will get worse, you know? And that's true for all of us, but like I've been thinking about how my disability specifically is gonna, is gonna affect that. And um, I think one of the best things that I can do is just like really practice taking care of myself, not only physically, but 
emotionally and mentally too. And that's one of the ways that I'm trying to like prepare for it. You, you talked a second ago about like losing ability. And one of the things that I've been doing on my social media over the last few months, I think, is talking about this thing I've kind of termed crippling anxiety, which is like anxiety around disability and anxiety around like losing things. And like one of the things that I'm really tapping into right now, kind of on an emotional level for me as a disabled person is like, what is disability grief? feel like what does it look like how do we talk about it how does it how does it manifest and so like when I lose function and it happens all the time like you said in tiny ways and then in medium ways and then in fucking giant ways um what was it like for you when you realized you couldn't do certain things anymore what did that what was that process like I went through a huge depression it was it was an existential moment for me um because it was all at once because it was like sciatic pain i had hip problems i had muscle problems i had back issues it was like all of this shit suddenly all at once as like my career is doing really interesting things and you know i'm like oh things are kind of going well and then my body's just like nope and i'm in bed for months at a time um i wasn't taking care of myself in the way that i should have but it like was really it was just really hard for me and this was like pre-pandemic too so there was still this like like this sense of like having to like be on the grind all the time you know yeah yeah um in a way that i think we're it might be similar pretty soon but at least we're having that conversation now so maybe that will help a little bit but yeah i mean it was depressing and it was scary and it was scary and and here's the thing like i am trying to be comfortable more comfortable being scared and having the rug pulled out from underneath me you know, I'm trying to be more comfortable with like bad surprises, you know, it's never going to be easy, but I'm trying to like, um, accept that that's just going to be a part of life. That's hard. I think as disabled people, that's hard because like you just said, we've been taught, don't, don't let anybody tell you you can't do anything. And then you're on stage doing this play and your body fails you and you're like, great. Well, that little idiom doesn't work anymore because look what just happened. Yeah. And it is hard. And I, you know, and I don't say all this to be like, wow, wow, like sad, but it's, it's, I think, I just think it's important to remember that like, this is, this is like bad surprises happen to literally everyone and ignoring that fact is kind of insane. Yeah. As a human. Yeah. But we do it all the time. We we're do it all the time but i also think it's kind of rebellious i think it's kind of rebellious i think it's kind of a revolutionary attitude if i do say so myself do you know what i mean like it's okay to fail it's okay to not feel good it's okay to if you can take a rest it's okay to demand that uh to demand like softness and comfort and um medical care which is you know obviously like a huge conversation right now yeah yeah how do you, how do you, how do you give yourself those things as a disabled person? Like, cause you just said, you know, you weren't taking care of yourself and like, so how do you give yourself care as a disabled person? How do you do it? A big part of it is becoming acquainted with my limitations and with my needs, which I wasn't doing before because I just had never, no one had ever taught me how to do that, how to, how to check in with my body really get a strong sense of how my body feels and then what I need. So that's, and, that's what and I mean. like, what is, can you give me like an example of how you would, what is a check-in? What is a, what is a disabled check-in for Anthony? 
Like, so it's like, if I know that there's going to be a lot of, if I'm going to be doing an activity that I know is going to require a lot of moving, I sort of anticipate how much movement there's going to be throughout the day, come up with a plan for sitting down, taking breaks, make sure that I'm including anyone, anyone else who's involved in that plan, the possibility of, of needing to take breaks, um, you know, exit strategies if I need to, just thinking, thinking a few steps ahead. What is it like putting that stuff into practice as an actor, like on these sets like Homeland and on the set of like Desert Inn and all this stuff? What was, okay, let's go to Desert Inn for a minute. What was the reaction of the other cast when you were like, yo, I'm, I am, I'm somebody with a amputee. I'm an amputee. Here's my deal. Like what, what is, what do people oh say when they see that? Do you want to hear a really funny kind of sad story? Of course you do. Yes, this I a, really this, do. This, this is a podcast. Um, the I so I showed up I showed up a week early to quarantine on set so the set was an actual hotel in the middle of the actual desert and uh, it was where we were shooting so we were living in the hotel that we were shooting the the piece in yeah and there was you know a very lovely uh, COVID safety person there and for the first few days you know we couldn't leave the compound. Um, there was really nothing to do <laughs> and I was, I just didn't have my prosthetic leg on. So I was sort of crutching around and, you know, everybody could see that and whatever. And, uh, a few days after I got there, the COVID dude was like, Hey, like, uh, so are you, are you, um, like acting in this? And I said, yeah, he goes, Oh, crazy. He's like, well, what do you do normally? I was like, I'm an actor. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I, you know, I suppress the dickish thing, which is to say, why are you asking that? Yeah. You know? um, and it could have just been for a number of reasons. It could have been that he wanted to, you know, talk about what he does normally, that he's not usually a COVID person, like a COVID safety person. Like, you know, it could have been a, a million reasons, but like, I couldn't help but consider the possibility that he saw me without my prosthetic leg on, very visibly disabled and thought that there was no possible way that I could have been an actor just because like it, this has happened before, you know, yeah. this has happened before where people just assume that there's no way that I could actually be an actor. <clears throat> and that's something, I mean, and that's a kind of a belief that I've had to like work on in myself. I've been doing this my entire life, but I still have to go in there and go like, just because I'm disabled doesn't mean that I don't have, that I'm not worth being seen and heard. Yeah, you know? of course. But uh, they were awesome on the set of Desert Inn. And, you know, I got, I, I just felt, I felt more comfortable advocating for myself. I think for the first time I actually felt comfortable being like, hey, I need like lighter shoes. I need like uh, a little bit of time to just sit down. You know, I need a knee brace, things like that. Um, and they were, yeah, they were really helpful with that. They asked me about, you know, if I needed like a, an ADA shower, an accessible shower, things like this. So that's, that's good. I mean, it's, it's great. It's great. And I don't mean to shit on the COVID dude. He was nice. He was great. You know, but that one little interaction was, uh, yeah. Funny. Um, and what about the other actors with like the other people that you worked with? What was like, did they say anything about disability? Did they make it a thing? Did they want to know stuff? Did questions come up? Like what was that? We didn't really talk about it. I think I was pretty forthcoming about like my, I've been trying to be more upfront about how I'm actually feeling in the moment and trying to like, 
you know, share more about myself. Cause I think I've in the past kind of kept people at a distance. So I'm trying to like share more about how I feel. So like I would be the one to, to initiate conversations about like my insecurities about my disability or my physical limitations. I think mostly people are just curious. I think people are just really interested. And yeah. I was just, I was in heaven because it's so rare for an actually disabled performer, A, to be playing a disabled character and B, having that character not uh, only struggling with the fact that they're disabled, like the core, the core uh, struggle for this, for this character is not his disability, it's his grief and his loss and sex and love. Like those are the things that he's thinking about. He's not only thinking about the fact that he's got a prosthetic leg. So I was, you know, I still, I'm so excited about this. And I just keep thinking like, if I had a story like Desert Inn and a character like Federico, when I was a kid, I might have felt like there were more spaces in the world that were welcoming to me, spaces that I belonged in. Oh, that's so great. Well, I now know. You, well, like now you gotta send me the link cause I gotta, I gotta see, but I wanna, I wanna know like, what was the, what is the character's connection to disability? Like how is your, how is your disability explained through the character? There's, there's not really much discussion about it, honestly. There's, there's a, a, a line in the end where I refer to um, having an, an accident in the past, but there's, but, and I think that's all you need, you know, I think that's all I needed to fill in what was going on with this person. Um, you know, because Federico spends a, a lot of the, the series hiding and in kind of his like little cave until he's pulled out by these extraordinary circumstances. And I think like, yeah, it's, it, it was, it just wasn't discussed it wasn't discussed that that much and i and i sort of liked it i i like that yeah you know? i mean i think cuz you know there are other media depictions of, of disability and i'm going to talk about Ryan O'Connell again for a second i know everybody's listening being like you've done shows with him you talk but there's there's depictions like you know Ryan in special where the whole show is not the whole show but a big chunk of it is him exploring disability identity and so it's it's important i think for audiences to see characters like Federico that are that don't touch on it every step of the way. Like, exactly. And I think you I think you pick up on I think you pick up on the fact that Federico is hiding for a combination of reasons. You know, he's he's hiding and he's keeping people at a distance and he's he's, he's not really showing much of himself at first for several reasons that one that he's queer another that he's disabled another that he's sort of trapped in this weird kind of uh paradise hell thing um and yeah i think you i think you get that but i yeah i ryan ryan Haddad, another prolific queer disabled writer named ryan um in the entertainment industry but ryan Haddad wrote this character Federico and he Ryan he Haddad really, wrote this character that's I did not wow yeah he wrote look he wrote at all the character. queer and disability that's, that's coming out it's all of us I know it's so exciting but he he wrote this character and then like and then called me and asked me if I wanted to do it and explained that you know there's a there's a scene where uh Raviv or Ion who was played by Raviv Allman Ion and Federico get into a hot tub they get into the pool and 
Federico, I take off my prosthetic leg on camera. I set it aside and I get into the pool. Okay, let's and, pause. Let's pause there for one second. How important is just that? Just like that is such an important fucking visual. When do you ever get to see that in a non-medical, completely? Maybe I haven't seen it yet, but I will watch. Maybe a sexualized like moment. You never see that. That's that's incredible. Absolutely. It is a moment of sexuality, intimacy, connection, genuine love, queer love on top of it. Um, and there's no explanation. It's just, this is the fact. This is what Federico needs to do to get into the pool, to, to share this sexy, intimate moment with his, with his love. So I'm now waiting for that link to, <laughs> to pop up in my email box. <laughs> well, that's, that's episode four. We don't have that one yet. I mean, so listen, you'll have to wait just like everybody else. How does, how do, how does one get this in Canada? How does this like what? I'm not sure about Canada. I'll say, I'll make sure that you get it, but I'm, I'm Talk not sure. Talk to the people and let me know. Cause I'd love to, I want to support this. Yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it was really, it, it's really incredible to me. And you know, the other, the other part about this is like, Ryan Haddad really wanted to make sure that like Ion, the non-disabled character, was not helping Federico get into the pool. There was no like, like, in fact, Federico was the one doing the caretaking, doing the initiation of the intimacy, um, which kind of flips the trope of the non-disabled savior. Yeah, um, and you know, showing uh, what we all know is true. Disabled people can be caregivers and, and, and disabled people can also take care of themselves, even if they fall flat on their face. And we've had to learn how. Yeah. And so I think, again, I haven't seen it. After I see the first three, I will talk to you because I, <laughs> but, but um, I think, you know, it's really valuable to have characters that are completely different from the tropes because we're so used to seeing the tropes and, you know, producing the tropes and stuff that I have done. I have played the trope or, or, you know, been, a version of Andrew Gerza that was the trope to, to get people to pay attention to what I'm saying. But I think, I think characters that are, that don't show their disability when they are disabled is also important. And when they have flashes of that, like where he, he takes off his prosthetic or he says, you know, a line at the end, or there's little hints to it, but it's never explicitly talked about was really cool. Yeah, and you know, it's not like we're hiding it. I mean, one of the one of the first shots in the movie is is uh, me getting out of a car in like super short shorts, you know. So like there there's it's we're not hiding it. We're super upfront about the fact that Federico's got a disability. It's it's central, I think, to his character. But it, there's so many other things that are important too. Um, but it's mostly discussed visually, like discussed in quotation marks visually. Um, let's shift from Desert Inn for a second because I have, I know the other thing we wanted to talk about was like disability in media generally. Uh, what, what are your, what, like, what are your thoughts on disability in media generally? What, are, what things do you want to touch on? Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, I just think about the fact that over a quarter of the population, at least of the United States identifies as disabled, you know? And yet like eight or 9% of the characters in narrative media are disabled. And of that only like I 2%. Think it's, well, yeah, I think it's way less than eight or nine. I think it's like- I think as of 20, as of 2019, it was about eight. But then, but then of that, of that 8%, only 2% were played by actual, by actual disabled people. 
Um, so there's obviously an aversion and we've covered like a lot of this stuff already, but there's, there's obviously an aversion from, you know, I would say the ableist society, which can actually include disabled people too. Uh, there's an aversion to seeing disability. Which didn't is... the last time you were on the show, didn't the last time you come on, we we had talked about doing something together. We had to, like, this is obviously pre-pandemic and before the world blew up, but we had talked about like putting together a concept for something. I can't remember, but we were going to do something about disability. Listen, I'm so fucking into it. Like, I don't, let's, I don't let's, even know let's what the, the fuck, fuck it is, like, but like... I've been I've been writing a little bit myself. Actually, my astrologer told me to to write something. Um, my Hold astrologer. On. That's man. the most Hollywood thing. <laughs> you listen. I live in Bed Stuy. I like I I'm no, but I, okay. My astrologer though, she's she's incredible. Her name her name is Elisa Einhorn. Everyone has to look her up. Um, can I tell you a story about Desert Inn about her prediction about Desert Inn? Yes. Can yes. I just tell you? Yeah. So I go. Okay. So because according to the war veteran, um, which is a whole other conversation, but I was just sort of like fed up with playing. Um, wait, can you see me? Because it says I'm getting the internet. It was weird for a second. And so start your story again, because Zoom was It was weird. weird for a second. Yeah. Okay. So... Uh, before okay so before the pandemic no yeah before the pandemic and then basically through the pandemic the majority of the auditions that i was getting were for these uh disabled war veterans who had lost their leg in combat and had ptsd now right so that was the majority of the auditions that i was getting and i think that's a very valuable uh type of character and a very valuable story um but like at some point, I just felt like, am I just being sort of boxed into this one trope? Because that's all I had. So anyway, so I contact my astrologer. I'm like, do I give up acting? What are the stars saying? You know, she's also a psychic. And I thinking that she would say, yes, give it up. Just focus on the commercials and the voiceover. Just, you know, just leave, leave it, leave it. You put it off to one side. There's other ways for your creativity to whatever happen. And then she goes, oh no, you can't give up acting yet. She's like, it's not done with you. And she goes, in fact, she said, um, she goes, oh, you're gonna be, you're gonna be in like a Western. There's gonna be like rocks and sand and you're gonna be a lover in this. You're gonna be like Clark Gable in The Misfits where you're like the older lover and you're gonna show a lot of your body. You're gonna show more of your body than you ever have before. And this is about like your masculine, like sexuality and your, your beauty. And there are gonna be photos of you and it wasn't until I was in the fucking desert shooting this movie <laughs> and, I get, and, I, and I get a call that I'm gonna have to go to a photo shoot and they asked me to take my shirt off for the photo shoot. And I was like, holy shit. Like, have those photos been released yet? When do I see those? Ah, of course, of course, that's the part that you focus on. But uh -huh. yeah, but they, I'll, I'll send you those photos too. I'll send you a big, big old uh, Dropbox link. But um, yeah, so I was just like, she, all the predictions were super, super specific. And then they all came true. This was like, uh, this was months before I knew about Desert Inn. Amazing. And I, I love that. I love that a queer disabled writer wrote that character. And I love that it, I just, lo I love all that for you. And I, it's, it's exciting. Um, what are your, what, what, what kind of other genres do you want to see disability in that you don't right now? Or, or what other, like, things about disability, disability media do you want to like, as somebody who's in it, 
What do you want to say about it that we haven't said already? I would love to see more disabled people uh, uh, in like just integrated into uh, classical theater. I think that would be really interesting. Um, that would be really cool. How cool Shakespeare. Would, it just, would it to see like, would it be to see like a fully disabled cast of, of like, you know, a Midsummer's Night Dream or Much Ado About Nothing or like, you exactly. know, Fellow or like Romeo exactly. and Juliet. <laughs> and there are, there are people doing this. There are people, you know, exploring this, but I, but it's usually like in little niche pockets of the industry. It's not like a, like a, a widely accepted thing, but it's changing slowly. And I think we, we can, we can do, there's more that we can do about it, including getting disabled people on the other side of production, you know, on the other side of the camera, yeah, agree, people, yeah. more people writing, more people directing, producing, even being casting directors. Um, it just really, it really does feel, it has felt for a long time. Like we're like all of us disabled people are, are the creatives trying to appeal to the non-disabled gatekeepers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so the more of us, the more of us like the Ryans who are on the other side of things, kind of calling the shots the better yeah and i think the more because again the two ryan's we're referring to ryan o'connell and ryan haddad both have cp i'd love to see other disabilities people with disabilities get a shot to share that story like like you know being an amputee makes you completely different from somebody with cp and those stories being written and directed from a disabled lens are so vital and so different from what my experience would be. And then like, where the fuck are the wheelchair using directors friends? Where like, wouldn't that, could you imagine how many scenes and how many movies would look fucking different if the person holding the camera was sitting down? Or the people calling the shots, the people envisioning the thing. The, like it would be, it would be incredible to see the world like widely like distributed that having, having that vision widely distributed, like from the perspective of a wheelchair user. Okay, so I've talked about this movie on the show before, but I want to ask you, have you watched Run yet? Run? Yeah. No. What? Sarah what? Paulson and Kieran, you've seen you must have No. I haven't even no, I haven't even heard about heard about it. Okay, we have to have a discussion. <laughs> All right. So there's this movie called Run. It was on Hulu. It's a psychological thriller about disability and the actress playing the daughter in the in the movie is disabled um you should definitely 100 percent go watch is she it. is she played by a disabled actress yes thank god um, it's on hulu it was on hulu it's on netflix now i don't know okay uh but it's very good it's got sarah paulson and kira j allen is the new is the new comer and she's got disabilities and the whole the whole movie is her mom tries to keep her disabled and her mom has has Munchausen by proxy and like makes her disabled. It's a whole, it's a psychological thriller and it's terrifying because her mom traps her in the house and she's a wheelchair user. Oh, I'm so far behind. I, Mayor of Easttown, all this shit. Somebody just send me a text or a tweet <laughs> with like I, links. That's all I need. I mean, I'm watching Mayor of Easttown right now. I don't, know, I don't know if there's any disability representation in there yet, but like, Kate Winslet, you deserve all the awards. <laughs> Like, can we just give them to all of you? Because you deserve them. Um, okay, so what disability stuff have you watched recently that you can speak to that we can talk about? Special, obviously, I mean, just I came just, out. I just Special did a whole season thing two. On season two, like, by the, when we're recording this two weeks ago, I did a whole show on it. 
But what did you think about it? What was your thoughts? Oh, I, I heard your, no, I heard your podcast with Ryan. It was amazing. Um, I love it. I love the fact that it's fun. I love the fact that it's like delicious. It's like, like, uh, it feels like a like substantial a, gourmet dessert. Like, yeah, I, it was I, so I, bright and so, so bright. Colorful. Yeah, yeah. And he was not like, what I love about his character, and I told him this when we were recording, I said, like, your character was a bit of a dick, but I like that because he was allowed to be a dick and you didn't make him perfect and you didn't make every able-bodied person in the place horrible and you it wasn't us against them it was this is absolutely yeah this is absolutely the thing with that show it's like nobody you can't pin anybody down you can't you can't say one way or the other like this person is a good person or a bad person because we're all like that we're nuanced yeah yeah and i the listeners are so tired of me talking about the show, but it's fucking amazing. And so <laughs> but um, but uh, just tell me more about you, man. Tell me, tell me other things you want to chat about. We got this is uh, this is the Anthony Michael Lopez show. Um, okay. Um, well, I don't know. I just you know, like outside of Desert Inn, I got done with Desert Inn and then I got back home and um just thinking about like what's next. Um, I'm going to be, and I've been working on this for a while uh, in a production of uh, Three Sisters, Chekhov's Three Sisters um, at a location TBD, but Sam Gold is directing, um, Oscar Isaac, Greta Gerwig, Steve Buscemi, lots of other incredible, incredible people are in it. Um, so that was supposed to happen. That was supposed to happen in spring of 2020. And, oh man all right well yeah. when things open up which is happening sooner than we realize you can yeah. do that i mean and it's in the works it's in the works that's really cool what did yeah. like on those big sets other than like we talked about what your experience was on like desert inn as a disabled person but like what was it like being on homeland what was it like being on that set with i think we talked about it briefly in the one that we recorded that we never did that we never put out but what was the one what was it like being on the set of maplethorpe like being a disabled person, what was that? What was that like for you? Uh, I don't think people knew on Maplethorpe. I was in I was in long pants the whole time on Maplethorpe, and, and I, I and I was only like I, I I only shot on that show for like three days, so I don't think there was enough time for people to like really know. Um, but maybe they did, maybe they did. I don't know, but nobody said anything. This is often the experience. I'm sure you know this. I'm sure you've encountered this. Like some people are just like very like. I don't want to say anything bad, you know, so they just like don't say anything at all. Yeah, yeah. So and that happens sometimes. That woman in the store when you were like a kid that was like, oh, such a shame. When you should have shut up yeah. and not said anything to anybody, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. No, she, you didn't have to say anything. Um, so, yeah, but uh, on Homeland, I only shot that. I was only there for one day. I had like, I have like a 20 second scene on that show. But it's uh, that, that was crazy because I was, it was in a scene, it was in the first ep first episode of one of the seasons. And my scene was like in the middle of one continuous long shot. You were, so, you were in a, you were in, you were in a, a room, right? You were in like a, you were in like a counseling. Like a, re a rehab room. Yeah. 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 Physical therapy. I was like the physical therapy, physical therapy coach. Cause I remember I was doing something on my computer one day and like a picture of your face popped up on my computer and I was like, because I guess you were in part of the ad for it or something, and your face is there, and I was like, what the fuck is he? What's what is going on? <laughs> yeah, that's well, yeah, get used to it, bitch. Um, <laughs> but, 
but no, this one long shot, like I was in the middle of it. So I had no idea when they were going to like burst in the room and it was going to be like 12 people with a camera and boom mics and Claire Danes in the middle of this swarm of technology, like coming at me, like yelling at me. <laughs> so that was crazy. That has nothing to do with my disability. Um, but on Broad City, that was truly like, it was my first TV experience that. I mean, we talked uh, about it in the first in the first one, and I, I, I watched that show finally. I watched that episode of you all the time because I'm like, I know him, and also it's like really cool that you were there. And like, I and again, this has nothing to do with disability, but I have a giant crush on oh, you know, what's his name, Guillermo, Guillermo Diaz, who plays Jaime's boyfriend in like a later season. Oh, yes, and I, yes. So I watched that show repeatedly because I follow him on Twitter and I'm like, how do we become best friends? Because you're cool and I'm like, I want to talk to you. So the fact that you're on that show is just super queer. <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, but that show, I mean, you know, that scene where Abby like yanks my leg off, like she was so cool about it. She was not, she was not, she was not, she did not hold back. Um, and that's why I think that scene is so funny. And ironically, it's like, you know, it's the first thing I've ever done and it's a tiny, tiny little thing. And my character's called Leg Dude. And yet it's probably the thing that I'm most recognized for in the world. I mean, also like, it's such a cool first thing to have done. Yeah, and, I like, agree. And so much improv too. They let me say whatever I wanted. And so much like, and I can just see, and I think I said this last time, I can just see people being like, oh, <gasps> It's so like you can't do that, but the fact it's that they so did it, bad. yeah. But I think I think that's that. I think it's just it's one of my favorite scenes of that show because that's I literally the joy watch of that it. Scene. I watch it and everybody goes, oh, "That's such a horrible scene." Like, no, <laughs> and I always say like it's hilarious because that's my friend and he's really disabled and that really happened. <laughs> yeah, people were like people. Uh, people thought that that was like a trick. Like a camera trick, like a CGI. They they CGI'd your leg in. Yeah. Like um. Okay. This is not a question that I had planned, but I'm gonna ask you anyway, because why not? If you had, if you were not born disabled, and you had both working legs, and you could do all the things that you feel like you can't right now, what is the first thing you would do? First thing that comes to mind is take a dance class because I love it. Oh, yay. That's that's the first. And I guess I could take a dance class, but I think it would feel better with two biological legs. And I, I'm like, is it hot? This is a totally baby enabled question. I hope not. But is it hard to dance with a prosthetic? Like, what is that experience like? Yeah, it's clunky. And, you know, the, my experience in the prosthetic, like the, the feeling of it changes every day, depending on like what I've eaten the day before, how hot it is, how humid it is. Well, you've eaten the day before. Yeah. Like if I eat a lot of, if I eat a lot of sodium, my stump swells and then it's hard to like feel comfortable inside the leg because there's like, you know, my stump is like swollen. I would never, you know. Like I can't I, eat Chinese food. I haven't eaten Chinese food in years. Oh, I love some good dim, dim sum. That's, I mean. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's that kind of a thing, but it's like, you never know what it's going to be like. So, so yeah, like dancing in a prosthetic is not the cutest or the funnest but i still do it like i would i would guess would you do like jumping jacks and summer vaults and all the stuff that like i would definitely run i have no idea what that's like 
I have no idea what it's like to run. I have no idea what it's like to ride a bike. So I would learn how to ride a bike. Um, oh, God, I would, yeah. Yeah, keep going, you would. I would walk upstairs. I would like, oh, there's so many things that I would do. I would. Oh my God. Yeah, there, there. I would fuck somebody up against the wall. I would. Um, oh, that, yeah. Like do, I would go to, I'd hike somewhere. Cause yeah. what the fuck is that? I don't, I've never done that in my whole life. When yeah. dudes say to me all the time, oh, because they say it all the time on the apps, like, oh, I like to go hiking. I like to like kayak and canoe. I'm like, I don't know what those things are. Like, I know what they <laughs> are, but I, there's no way in hell I could do that. Um, I would wear, I would wear high heels. You can't? And the, the, oh, I guess because you'd have to get a special, could you, okay, just for fun, if you wanted <laughs> to be drag, could you go to your prostitutes and be like, hi, I need you to make me. <laughs> <laughs> I need a new foot. I need a new foot stat. I'm sure they would do it. Yeah, they're the best. Please but yeah, I would do that. that. I would do that. I would love to do drag. I would be the hairiest drag queen. You could do drag anyway with your prosthetic. Why couldn't you do it with? I guess I could. I guess I could. But I just want to wear heels. I just want to wear be, heels. You could be the one-legged faggot. <gasps> that should be a thing you create. You should do. A Listen, I I cannot tell you when I watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I fantasize about what I would do. If if I were a queen with a prosthetic leg, could you imagine the looks? Could, could you imagine, you imagine the, the death drop that you did? <laughs> the death drop. <laughs> Incredible. You... I it could have it could be a two-part death drop. The leg first and then <laughs> the <me. leg> first. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. Please, please, somebody, RuPaul's people, if you're listening to this somewhere, please make that make happen. Make this happen. Just even for a guest spot, just let him. Come on, it could be fucking the one-legged faggot. And just do that. Just do that. Just So this is not an acting question, but it, but it sort of is. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about doing adult acting? Is that something you want to do? Is, have you ever thought about porn as a possibility? I've thought about it, but I, I've thought about it, but I, I, I think I, um, and I know that there's like great aesthetic porn out there. It's just, I like, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to be, I wouldn't want to do it. it. It's too, it's too private. It's too personal. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm evolved enough to um, like fuck publicly yet. Oh, you'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> you'll get there. I didn't think I was either. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I guess I filmed that. All right, good. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just thinking about like the, we talked about RuPaul's Drag Race and I'm thinking about like the, the possibility and the importance of, of, people seeing somebody with the with one leg like wow. i think about it all the time where are the where are the um the mobility disabilities on, there, on rupaul's drag race that's what i think about all the time too and i'm always like and okay. i think about is it is it is it an essentially ableist comp- competition is it is it like is it essentially inaccessible 100 it is right it is it is and they don't they don't even realize that it is. They don't even, they're not even there yet. To, but if you walked on or I came on, if you, if I roll on that fucking set and you were with me and the two of us did a thing together, like did a, did a, some sort of roof. I don't know. I don't know. But if you how, were, if you were, if you were a contestant on the show, could I come on and be your makeover challenge, buddy? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> can we like, make that happen? Like RuPaul's fucking crip race. Can we, can that be a thing? Please. 
all Jeez. the all the contestants and all the judges are disabled. We'll get Ryan O'Connell and Ryan Haddad to judge. We'll find like no name disabled people who are queer because they're everywhere, and be like, "Come on, this is just for you. Let's get fish." Okay, be a this show. is actually this is actually a genius idea, and we don't need we don't need RuPaul and her fracking money. We can do this ourselves. RuPaul's okay. All right, so. My name is Andrew. So Drew Paul's Crip Race. There we go. There we go. And we'll just, we'll just. That's make settled. It. I mean, come on. It's done. But how fantastic would that be? I, we need that. We need that. I mean, you know, I, I think Ryan O'Connell mentioned this on your episode too. Like he, he said, you know, often disability is sort of the last thing to be talked about. Um, yeah. When it comes to if, like the diversity conversations. If, if it's brought even, up at all. Yeah. If we even go there. If when really it, it should be nuanced within all of that together. Um, I have nothing yeah. else to talk about, but I just had fun sitting with you and chatting. Yeah. It's was Me really, too. It was so nice to catch up. Um, I know the last time I saw you was 2019 at that thing. We, that yeah, we were at an award show together. Being we were two, both honorees, right? Yeah, we were honored at Queerty's 50th Pride we're, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All I remember is that John Cameron Mitchell was there and he and I were essentially wearing the exact same look. You really were. And he was, he was really flirty. He flirted with me super hard and had my mom not been there with me. I'm pretty sure I would have gone home with John Cameron Mitchell. That's how God I feel about that. Damn it. God damn it. That pretty sure. Amazing. Like the way he was, the way he was hugging me at the end of the, I was like, if my mom was not right there. And even she said to me, like, he wanted to fuck you. I was like, I know. Fuck. fuck. <laughs> I would have been there Next for time. it. Next time. Next time. Next time. John, John Cameron Mitchell, if you're listening, I'm down for it. Let's fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love that you're using this platform like this. Might as well. I mean, I got Might it. Might as well, honey. Um, all right, Anthony, Michael right. Lopez, this was great. Give us the deeps on how we can follow you. Tell us when Desert In- Desert Inn's coming out and how do we get a hold of that? And then drop me that Dropbox link. Duh. Okay, listen, I love you. And I am so happy we did this. So you can find uh, Desert Inn on operabox.tv. You don't need a subscription. You can pay for all eight episodes. It's like 30 bucks. Or you can buy, you know, episode episode by episode, I think for five. Um, and you can find me on Instagram. I'm Flittergagget on Instagram. So just think Glitterfagget and then change the first two letters. Um, so yeah, that's me and that's Desert Inn. Watch it. You're going to love it. It's a gay ass time. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. Send me that link. Talk to your producers. I want the full fucking eight. <laughs> All right. I think, well, I think they're still editing, but I'll send you what I have. Be like, listen, Andrew Gertz is important. He, I can do fucking, re- you know what? Tell them I'll do a review of your show. Be like, listen, he'll do a review as a disabled person and they'll get, I'll get you proper fucking press by a disabled person me doing it properly that would be i amazing. love this tell them yes. I need, tell them i need all eight of it in order for me to do that so yes duh yes oh my god that's done uh but like actually do send me an email after this oh don't worry the minute I, the, I I'll, when we're off the air i'll because I, I changed my number so i'll send you my my new number and then we'll that's what i thought i tried to text you yeah no i changed my number because long story People okay. are weird. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, Anthony Michael Lopez, thank you for coming on and just having a chat. This is the first unscripted podcast I've ever done. I have usually write everything down to a fucking T 
and I wrote nothing down today, and we had the best chat ever. So listen, I think it went very well. I loved it. I have to say, okay, I, I love you so much. Thank you. I love you too, and we will talk very soon. Okay, ciao. Bye. All right, everybody. Well, that's another beautiful episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Thank you so much for sticking around and for listening and being there for every episode of the show. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.andrewgerza.com and you can book me for talks and see more of what I'm doing. You can also follow me on my Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza underscore. That's where I do a lot of my disability justice and social justice stuff around disability. Have a lot of great conversations around disability and try to make disability accessible to everyone there. So follow me there. If you want to follow the podcast, you can download it on any podcast player. As well as you can go to our Twitter, our Disability After Dark Twitter, DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Um... Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to support the show, again, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark to pledge as little as $1 a month or $5 a month. Also, please, wherever you listen to your podcasts, leave us a five-star review. It really helps getting, getting the show noticed. Also, if you want to be on the show, pop me an email at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Let me know your suggestions for show ideas, things you want to hear on the show, stories about disability that you want a light shone on. Thank you so much for listening. I'm, of course, your delectable host, Andrew Gerza. Let's stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll be back soon. Thanks, friends. Bye. Copyright Notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021.